Let us begin this morning in the book of Mark one more time. Mark's chap- chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 23 and go down to the end of the chapter. Mark chapter 2 verse 23. Come down to verse 28. The Word of God says, And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day. And his disciples began, as they went, to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have you never read what David did when he was, or when he had need, and was, and hungered, he and they that were with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to, to eat but for the priest, and gave also to them that which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath." I'll leave off reading there in verse 28. Let me have just a little bit of time, take a little bit of time for review. Last week we spent some time reviewing the doctrine of the Sabbath, looking at the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. We did that so that we might come to this morning's text with a little knowledge. We also looked at the verses preceding this text where our Lord Jesus Christ answered the religious Jewish leaders considering or concerning their two complaints. Remember the two complaints? First, why was Jesus Christ eating with sinners? And secondly, why did the disciples of Jesus not fast? So let's reverse them this morning. I want to deal with the second part that we dealt with last week and then come back to reviewing the Sabbath before we come into our text this morning. So the questions that the Jewish religious leaders brought up were questions concerning why Jesus was eating with sinners and why his disciples did not fast. And I will not take a lot of time on this this morning, but simply to summarize it, Jesus took their questions as an opportunity to correct their false religious ideas and to teach them the truth of the Word of God. And you remember I exhorted us all that whatever questions or comments arise contrary to the Scriptures, take the opportunity, if God opens a door for you, to correct that with the Word of God. It's not a matter of someone saying, well, I believe, and you saying, well, I believe. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what Jesus Christ did. Well, haven't you ever read in the Scriptures? Or don't you remember this verse over here? And take the opportunity to say something. The Bible opens up in Mark chapter 2 verse 17 with when Jesus heard it he saith unto them. And in Matthew chapter 9 verse 12 and 13 dealing with the same issue the Bible says when Jesus heard that he said unto them and then I'm going to skip that part and go to verse 13 and said go ye and learn what it meaneth I will have mercy and not sacrifice. So he said unto them, that is, he's teaching them, but he also instructs them that they need to learn something. They got these religious ideas, they got these traditions, but they need to learn something. 
And the conclusion of those two questions was wrapped up in the two verses where Jesus dealt with that which is new versus that which is old. The new cloth cannot be put on an old garment, and new wine cannot be put in old wineskins. And he taught them that his doctrine, his salvation, the Christian practice that he was instituting was new, and it could not be added to their old religious system without destroying both systems. It was new, it was different, it was real, it was true. And I brought up last week, not one gospel writer records any correction among the Pharisees, the lawyers, or the scribes. Every gospel record showed that they were not corrected by any instruction given them by the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, they remained adamant in their religious practices and continued to attack the Lord and His practices. This pattern continued to the end when they agreed to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ and it continues today as the Jews remain under divine judicial blindness. I was going door to door in San Antonio one time came across this house, there was a group of people in there, they were drinking, music was blaring, and knocked on the door, had some gospel tracks, a man answered the door, and, uh, I mean, it's in your face, he opens the door and it's there, it's in your face, right? Alcohol, you could smell marijuana, the music was blaring, and I said, my name is Pat Horner, I'm from this church and that church, I have gospel literature for you if you're interested. He said, I'm a Jew. I said, oh, really? Well, I can talk to you. That's not an objection to the gospel. (laughs) Jews need the gospel too, right? Just like uh, Hindus, just like Muslims, just like Americans. And he said, well, we're having the Lord's table here. I said, well, go ahead, do what you want to do then. I walked away. That was his words. We're having the Lord's table here. And I thought to myself as I walked away, Lord, you heard that. Very seldom in my Christian life have I said those words to the Lord. Four or five times in my whole Christian life I've said, Lord, you heard that. That was one of them. They would not be corrected by God Himself. They would not be corrected. Have you never read? They had such a high respect for the Word of God. Jesus said, well, haven't you read this? And they would not be corrected. They would not be corrected. But second, last week we looked at the Sabbath, and we we saw several things relating to the Sabbath which will help us to understand today's text. First, let me just give a review because this is going to bring us to our text, and I'm going to repeat some of it in a minute. We learned the English word Sabbath comes from a Hebrew word which means to rest. It does not mean seventh. It cannot be translated seventh. It simply means rest, to desist, or to cease. That's all it means. And we learn that the Sabbath was first instituted at the time of creation. It is a creation ordinance, and though it is part of the moral law, it was not instituted in the moral law. And that was the third point. We learned that in the giving of the moral law of God in Exodus 20, God did not institute the Sabbath, 
but was simply reminding Israel of the previously existing Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath, he said. Recall to mind the Sabbath, he said. Not the, the fourth thing we learned that the Old Testament foreshadowed, prophesied, and pictured the first day and the eighth day as a Sabbath. Most of our time was spent in Leviticus 23, if you want to go back there in your personal studies. Uh, Leviticus 23, for that study and with regard to that particular truth. The word first, or the phrase first day and eighth day show up in that text, and it is actually called a Sabbath. Number five, we learn from our Lord Jesus Christ that there are three different works that may be performed on the Sabbath without breaking the law of the Sabbath. They are works of mercy, works of necessity, and works of ministry. And then six, we learned that in the New Testament, saints worship God on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. And that that day can be called a Sabbath as long as when we use the word Sabbath, we mean day of rest taken in order to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you mean by Sabbath that it should be used and observed in the same manner as the Jews, then we will not use that term. We will not use that word. Properly defined, we may call the Lord's Day the Christian Sabbath. That brings us up to our text in Mark chapter 2 and verse 23 where the scripture says, And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day. That brings us up. I wanted to have last week as a teaching of what the Sabbath was to bring us to our text this morning. And his disciples, the scripture says, as began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. This is recorded both in Luke and in Matthew, and I will be referring to some of the verses in Matthew in a few minutes to help open up what is going on here. But first, let us again define how the word Sabbath is used in this text. The word refers to the rest day God established on the seventh day of creation. It was made for man's benefit by God who created mankind. In the Old Testament, it was observed as the seventh day of the week. So the Jews are observing the seventh day of the week, which was called Saturday by us. And this is the day that is mentioned here in verse 23. Second, over the years... After the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, the Jews established a number, and there's varying um, quotes as to how many, some up to 600, a number of religious laws regarding how the moral law should be kept, particularly how the Sabbath was to be observed. In the scriptures, it talks about a Sabbath day journey. In other words, they could only go so far on the Sabbath day without violating the Sabbath day. Third, at the time the Lord Jesus Christ had entered into his ministry, the Jewish leaders had a whole list of things that could not be done on their Sabbath in order that it be properly observed according to their traditions. I did not mistake words when I said could not be done on their Sabbath so that their traditions were observed. I did not say the Lord's Sabbath on purpose. In case you missed the word there. Fourth, 
The Lord Jesus Christ and the Jewish leaders were in constant conflict over their traditions and the truth as it was taught by the Son of God. We've already seen it at the beginning of chapter 2. We've already seen it, and it develops more and more through the text. The constant conflict between the Lord Jesus Christ and the religious leaders of the Jews was based upon the fact that they could not distinguish. Listen to this statement. They could not distinguish between the laws which God made for the good of mankind and the laws that they made concerning their religious activity which were not based upon the law of God. Do you get that? They could not distinguish between the laws God made for the good of mankind and the laws they made that were contrary to the laws of God. And any conflict that arises today arises from the same issue. Even among Baptists, there are many who have their traditions which sit in conflict with the Word of God. And they sometimes cannot distinguish between their understanding, their ideas, their laws of how to live as a Christian and what God's Word actually says. But this is especially true with all the man-made religions which have come into existence since the days of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Mark chapter 2 verse 23 that they went through the cornfields. The cornfields here actually means fields of grain. The, he, the English, the Greek word comes, that's translated cornfields here uh, simply means any kind of grain that has a head on it. Corn literally maize, the Indian maize is probably not what is here. It's probably rye or wheat or something like that. Commonly called corn, the grain of corn, commonly called corn in the, in the, in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ and even in Europe today. Uh, and so look up the Greek word and it's not a bad translation. I'm not saying that. It's not a wrong translation. I'm not saying that. Just look up the Greek word and it means any grain with a head on it. Okay? Field of grain, which through which they were passing on their way to the synagogue in Capernaum. Remember, they're still in Capernaum. Mark chapter 3, verse 1 says, And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man which had a withered hand. We'll get to chapter 3 next week. We'll deal with the issue of the withered hand on the Sabbath. But here we're going through the cornfields. They're on their way. It's the Sabbath day. They're traveling from wherever they had stayed on their way to the synagogue. And so they're gathering a handful of grain, rubbing it together, and eating the grain as they're traveling to the synagogue. According to the Jews, this practice was illegal. It was breaking the law of God. But, according to the scriptures, this practice is completely legal. In fact, sanctioned by God. As they were not harvesting the field which not belonged to them, they were simply gleaning enough for a meal. Now you and I can't think that way today, but in the, an agrarian society, and Israel particularly, God gave law that if you're walking through, I'll get to the verse in just a minute, but if you're walking through or by a field, if you were hungry, you could take a handful, clean it up, eat it, and go on your way. Okay? We'll see that in a minute. But from the Jews' perspective, they were working on the Sabbath. And that meant they were breaking the laws as they related to the Jews' idea of what the Sabbath was. 
Matthew records something else for us that becomes important in the interpretation of this text. If you want to go over there, it's Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. Matthew records the reason why they did what they did. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 1, the scripture says, At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungered, and began to pluck the ears of the corn and to eat. Mark doesn't record that they were hungry. This is the Sabbath day. Remember, the Sabbath day started in the evening. They were on their way to the, Sabbath, to the synagogue, either for that evening or the next morning. Either way, they hadn't eaten. Uh, and it's very possible, depending upon how poor you considered the disciples were by this time in their ministry, that they hadn't eaten in a while. You remember reading there were times when 5,000 would sit, men sit at the feet of Jesus, plus women, plus children, and for three days they hadn't eaten anything? Well, that's a long time to go without food, and that's when Jesus fed them with a few bread and a few fish. That was not uncommon among the disciples, the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the question we need to raise this morning. And I'm going to raise it now, but I'm not going to answer it now. Okay? But I will answer it before the end of the message. Does being hungry allow someone to violate the law of God? Isn't that what Matthew said? They were hungry. They did what they did because they were hungry. Okay? Now go to verse 24. Back to Mark chapter 2 and verse 24. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? Matthew records this. Matthew 12 verse 2. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Why do your disciples do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day? When the Pharisees saw it, they saw something and they felt like it was their obligation to say something about it. The Jewish leaders were constantly looking at the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples to see if they could find some fault with him or with them and their practice. We've already seen it. Mark chapter 2 verse 7. Why does this man speak blasphemies? Mark chapter 2 verse 16. How is it that he eateth? And drinketh with publicans and sinners. Mark chapter 7 verse 2. A little bit later in the book of Mark. And when they saw some of the disciples eat bread with defiled. That is to say with unwashing hands. They found fault. Matthew 15 verse 2. Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Over and over and again. And again and again, the Pharisees were looking not to learn, but to find fault. Now let's look at the law regarding the Sabbath. Remind ourselves again, we saw this verse last Lord's Day, we'll bring it up again today. What is the law regarding the Sabbath? Let's look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, 9, and 10. If you don't want to go there, you can jot it down as a text and I'll read it for you. Exodus 20. Beginning in verse 8, God says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. 
In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. So here's the question, because this is the law. Here's the question. Were Jesus Christ and his disciples working? Were what they were doing, what they were doing as they were walking to the synagogue, what they were doing, could it be considered working? Now, we've already looked at it, but let's look at it again. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 says, At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungered. Now, the law of God regarding being hungry and eating out of your neighbor's field did not stipulate any particular day. It included every day of the week that a person could be hungry. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 22. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 23. Deuteronomy 23. I want you to see what God said and see the conflict here that is between the disciples of the Lord and the Jewish leaders. Deuteronomy 23, beginning in verse 24 and then going to verse 25. Deuteronomy 23, 24 says, When thou comest into thy neighbor's vineyard, then thou mayest eat grapes thy fill at thine own pleasure, but thou shalt not put any in thy vessel. You can have some, but you can't harvest it. Okay? Verse 25. When thou comest into the standing corn of thy neighbor, then thou mayest pluck the ears with thy hand, but thou shalt not move a sickle unto thy neighbor's standing corn. You can pluck a handful here and a handful there, rub it together and eat it as you're going down the road, but you cannot harvest another man's field. That's the law, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a word, it means the second giving of the law. Here is the law of God. As you're walking along your way, if you come to a field and you're hungry, take a few grapes if it's a vineyard, take some corn if it is a field. So, two laws. Does God contradict himself? No. So, Taking a handful of grain on the Sabbath day then cannot be working. It cannot be working. Because God has given two laws and both of them in perfect harmony with each other. And this is part of the reason why Jesus Christ answered the Pharisees as he did. But our text does not but our text adds more. So we go back to Mark chapter 2. And verse 25. Mark chapter 2 and verse 25. Mark chapter 2, 25 says, And he, Jesus now is answering the Pharisees. They said, Why are your disciples doing that which is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said unto them, Have you never read what David did when he had need and was a hungered? Jesus added another stipulation here, another situation. First, he said, haven't you ever read what David did when he was in need and when he was in hungry? 
So here the hunger is defined by a greater word, need. When he was in need. This is Jesus' answers to the disciples. Now, some of us need food more often than others. It's a genuine need. If there's a need and you're hungry, you're supposed to be able to eat and take care of that. Some of us may go for longer periods of time without needing food and without getting hungry. And that's fine. Each person is different. But what does the scripture say here? David was in need and he was in hunger. hunger. So, first, this is Jesus' first answer to the Pharisees. First, Jesus Christ answers the Pharisees' objections and their judgmentalism with the Word of God. I've said this before, I'll say it again, and it'll be over and over and over again till we it's just a second nature to us. Mark twelve, twenty-four, and he answering them said. Mark twelve, twenty-six, have you not read in the book of Moses? Over and over again, he's going to do this. Matthew 19 and verse 14, uh, verse 4. And he, he answered and said, Have you not read? Over and over again, he's coming back to the Scriptures. Coming back to the Scriptures. Remember, this is the only nation on the face of the earth that has the written Word of God. All the other nations have to come to Israel to find out what God has to say about things. At this time, the Scriptures reside in one nation, Israel. The Jews were supposed to disperse it, but they had not done so. So here is the nation with the Word of God, and Jesus said, Have you never read? Have you not read? Second, Jesus uses an example that does not directly apply to the observance of the Sabbath. Did you get that? Have you not read what David did? Now what do we learn from that? Because every word of God, everything Jesus Christ does should teach us something about the ministry. Here, first, we should always use biblical precepts when they are available. And Jesus had ample biblical precepts available to him, but he didn't use a direct precept Instead, Jesus is teaching us that we may also argue for the truth from the scripture or from the scriptures by using the principles of the scriptures. Now here is something that I have taught before and will continue to teach, and that is that there are three P's that you can argue use to get the truths. One is precept. Precept is a direct biblical teaching on the subject. What does the word Sabbath mean? And we just go verse by verse and we study. This is what is said. Secondly, principles. Principles are teachings derived from direct statements but applied in a multitude of areas. Principles. Okay? And third, practices. The practices of Jesus Christ and the true Christians that followed Him what they did in their lives as they lived according to the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. What they did with their life. 
we can go and say, look, this is what they did. There's no direct precept that you've got to do it this way, but this is what they did. Well, then we can do it too. Okay? So, let me give you an example of that. We have no direct precept changing the seventh day Sabbath to the first day of the week in the New Testament. You cannot find it. Search as you may. Now, you have pictures and prophecy of the first and eighth day in the Old Testament, and I believe they can be brought over. But there is no direct precept from God, out of God's mouth, that says, I'm changing the seventh day to the first day. Okay? But, we have the principle that a day of rest and worship existed from the days of creation until the days of the New Testament. That's clear. We also have the Lord Jesus Christ meeting with His disciples on the first day of the week rather than on the seventh day of the week as He did with the Jews. That's clear. We also have New Testament saints continuing to meet on the first day of the week after the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. That also is clear. And in addition, we have New Testament instructions concerning certain acts of worship observed on the first day of the week. That also is clear. They broke bread. They collected their tithes and offerings. So, from all that information, what can we deduce? From a biblical principle and divinely ordained practice, we teach that the first day of the week is the Christian Sabbath as I have defined it last week and again this week. But we have no direct precept. By the way, there's an argument from those that say that God has put away His law, that we have no direct repeating of the fourth commandment in the New Testament. Therefore, we only have nine laws instead of ten. That's an argument that is made. But Jesus is teaching us in this text that He is not using a precept, but a principle. And we'll open that up for us. So let's come back to Matthew, Mark chapter 2. 25 and 26. He said unto them, Have you never read what David did when he had need and was a hungered? He and they that were with him. How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest, and gave also to them which were with him. So here is what Christ is saying. Now what is the law regarding the showbread? I think we need to understand what's going on. I'm taking a lot of more time here going back to the Old Testament and coming back here because I want to come to a conclusion in a minute. Let me just read for you Matthew 24 verses 5 through 9. This is the law of God. I'm sorry, I said Matthew. Leviticus 24 verses 5 through 9. This is the law of God regarding the showbread or the holy bread. Thou shalt take fine flour, bake twelve cakes thereof, two tenths deals shall be in one cake. Thou shalt set them in two rows, six in a row, upon a pure table before the Lord. Verse 7. Thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, for an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Verse 8, every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord, continually being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. Verse 9, and it shall be Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place. 
For it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire for a perpetual statute. That's the law. Here's how you make the bread. This is how you set it up in the, in, in, in the tabernacle or the temple. This is what it's supposed to look like. And it, it belongs only to Aaron and his sons. And they can only eat it in the holy place. That's the law. What is the actual account, though, that took place with the life of David? 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 6. Let me read it. Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David, and said unto him, Why art thou alone, and no man with thee? And David said unto Ahimelech, the priest, The king hath commanded me a business, and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business, whereabout I send thee, and what I have commanded thee, and, and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Now therefore, what is under thy hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand for, for, for what there is present. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread. Under my hand. Now you think about that statement just a minute. I want to chase rabbits here. But here the priest ministering. They don't have any bread to eat. There's no food there. There's no common bread. But there is the hallowed bread. That's all that's there. There's 12 loaves of bread in this place. For all the priests ministering there. If the young men have kept themselves at least from women. And David answered the priest and said on him of a truth women have been kept from us about these three days since I came out and the vessels of the young men are holy and the bread is in a manner common yea though it be sanctified this day in the vessel so this verse 6 so the priest gave him hallowed bread for there was no bread there but the showbread that was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. No other bread to give. So he gave him the hallowed bread. Not one word in all of the scripture is ever said about what takes place here in a negative. Not one word. Coming back to Mark chapter 2, Jesus Christ says, Have you never read what David did when he had need and was a hungered. When he had need and was a hungry. What is Jesus teaching concerning the law of God? The Sabbath and holy bread. The answer is this. First, the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching that the letter of the law does not negate the principles of mercy and righteous judgment. This is the conclusion in Matthew chapter 12, though it does not show up in Mark's account. In Matthew chapter 12, dealing with this same situation, the scripture says that Jesus said, But if you had known what this meaneth, meaneth I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. In Matthew 12, he uses the same example as David. In fact, in all three accounts, he uses the account with David. So what is he saying? He is saying that the letter of the law does not negate, does not 
mean that we should completely ignore the principles of mercy and righteous judgment. The letter of the law does not negate the principles of the necessity of sustaining life and preserving life. The sustaining and preservation of life takes precedence over the legal observance of the Sabbath or the legal observance of any other law. That's why Christians cannot agree with such things as abortion and gay marriage. Because though it is law, it is in violation of the law of God, and it is contrary to everything that has to do with the sustaining and preservation, preserving of life. The sustaining and preserving of life. That's an easy thing for us to grasp with regard to abortion. Maybe not so easy in your mind to make that next step with regard to sodomy. But the, the sustaining and preservation of life is involved. And in why that sin should not be committed. It takes precedence over every legal observance of the Sabbath or any other law. Things which may be defined as a necessity and thing which, things which may apply to mercy always supersede the legal observance of the law of God. Always. Throughout the whole of the scriptures. Even under the law of the Old Testament. Let me quote you some scriptures. Here's the prophet Hosea. Hosea 6.6 6. God says, For I have desired mercy not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings Micah 6 8 he has showed the old man what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God Isaiah chapter 1 beginning in verse 11 I'll not read the whole of the text because of time, but it concludes in verse 17 where God says to Israel as a nation, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, and plead for the widow. All your new moons and sacrifices away with all of that. What you need is to learn to do well, to seek judgment, to relieve the oppressed. Zechariah 7, verse 9 and 10, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment, and show mercy and compassion every man to his brother. I don't have time to deal with this right now. Oh, yes, I do. Let me deal with it. I may take a few extra minutes. I don't know whether you noticed or not, or whether you know enough of the text or not, but in 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 6, when David came to Ahimelech, the high priest, David lied concerning the reason as to why he was in need. Saul was threatening his life, and he was fleeing for his life. And David lied to the priest in order to get food. Why art thou alone, and no man with thee? And David said, the king hath commanded me a business. That's not true. Truth is that David was fleeing for his life from King Saul. Fleeing for his life. 
The law of God forbids lying. So is it right to lie when the sustaining and preservation of life is at stake? This is not the first time this issue has shown up in the scriptures. Now we thread, we tread on thin lines here. But in the matter of the sustaining and preservation of life, mercy always prevails over the law. Give you another account of that. Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you don't know immediately what that text is, that is just prior to Israel coming into the land of Canaan. Joshua sends spies in, sends two of them in. They come to Rahab, the harlot's house. The king of Jericho finds out that the spies are here. He sends to Rahab, the harlot's house, and asks her this question. Bring forth the men that came to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they are come to search out the country. Deliver them into our hands. And the woman took the two men and hid them and said, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. But I don't know where they're at. What did Christians in Germany do with Jews during the Holocaust? They hid them in their houses and lied to the Nazis. This is a matter of life and death. This is a matter of life and death. What does the New Testament say about Rahab? What a wicked woman she was, being a harlot and a liar, right? No. What does the New Testament say about her? Hebrews 11, verse 31, God says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she received the spies with peace. What she did with those spies was an act of faith and God put it forever in His record in Hebrews chapter 11. James chapter 2 says, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Didn't she show her faith by her works? What James is arguing here is that she had faith in the living God and she proved her faith by her works And that included lying and hiding those spies. In addition, David's lie on on this account, nor his eating of the holy bread, was ever condemned in the word of God. Instead, the Lord Jesus Christ uses this account to teach the Pharisees something about mercy as it relates to the preservation of life. The truth is that God forbids lying, just like He forbids violating the Sabbath. But God's Word does not condemn those who break His law in the sustaining and the preservation of life. That is a hard pill to swallow for some who call themselves Christians. I remember the first time I taught this, one young man raised his hand. I was pastor in Elmendorf and he raised his hand and said, Brother, I don't believe there's ever an occasion when a Christian should lie. And I said to that brother, Brother, it's okay. I do. And when they come to kill you, I'll hide you and lie about it. That doesn't mean we're all to go around lying. You understand that? Yes. I'm dealing with a specific issue. The sustaining and preservation of life. They were hungry. Jesus Christ said they were in need and they were hungry. 
And when a person is in need and hungry and takes a handful of grain out of a cornfield and takes and eats that grain, he is not violating the law of God. There is such a thing as mercy. Go and learn what it means that I will have mercy and not judgment, he said to them. And for all of his ministry, this is the, these are the opening days of the ministry of Christ, and for three or three and a half years, they will not learn. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. He does not stop there. This is his first argument, but he comes to two other arguments concerning the Sabbath to settle this out of the mouth of three witnesses. The first argument is they have not broken the law of God because what they did is in the law of God and it was an act of mercy. The second argument, verse 27, Mark 2, 27, he said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, I won't open up the next two verses in length because we are, in fact, running out of time. But he said what he said unto them again... Jesus continues in this vein of teaching those who should have known the Word of God. He continues to answer the Pharisees, adding one more biblical reason for the innocence of His disciples. The Sabbath was made for man. They should have known that. Man was created for earth. The Sabbath was created for him. Just like the woman was made for him. Just like everything in creation was made for man. Why did God create the heavens and the earth? God created it for man. Why did God put herbs here for them to eat and animals for them to eat and water and all the things that man needs? Everything God has done for the first seven days of creation was done for one purpose. For man. Can you tell me one thing in all of that? Light and air and, and, and gardens and flowers, and and animals, everything God has done. And he put man in the middle of it and says, here, this is for you. And besides that, I'm going to add a day of rest for you. The Sabbath was made for man. And therefore, it is to be subservient to man. Not man subservient to the Sabbath, nor other men's man-made laws regarding the Sabbath. I called Sunday the Christian Sabbath, but it is subservient to me. I am not subservient to it. I don't think we could just in our whims do whatever we want to, but at the same time, man-made rules, like you can't take a handful of food and eat it because you're working on the Sabbath, have got to go out the window. Your dad once told me something about a preacher he knew that had Sabbath day toys. I didn't want to call his name. Maybe that won't come up on the recorder. I heard him say it. I heard it. Yeah. Everything God made was good. Incidentally, he abandoned it. Yes, he did. All was for man to enjoy and to benefit from. And that included the Sabbath. It was made for man's benefit, for his good. The Sabbath was made so that men might rest. So they might have some rest for their bodies from labor, for their rest for their minds from the anxiety of life and living. 
and rest for their soul as they rest in their creator who was not only their creator but their sustainer and their provider and their redeemer. The second argument as to why these disciples are not violating the laws of the Sabbath is the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And now the third witness comes forth in verse 28. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And here is the third point that Jesus makes answering the Pharisees concerning why His disciples were not breaking or violating the Sabbath. And it is this, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And I determine what is right and wrong, what is good and, 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 and what is not so good, and what is legal and what is not legal. I determine those things. You don't. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown said, For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In what sense, they ask, is the Son of Man Lord of the Sabbath day? Not surely to abolish it, especially just after saying that it was made for man, but to own it, to interpret it, to preside over it, to ennoble it, by merging it in the Lord's day, breathing into it an air of liberty and love necessarily unknown before. End quote. What an amazing statement. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I determine when the Sabbath is, but I also determine how the Sabbath is observed. And by the way, I think you can find all these things in the Old Testament, not just in the New. I think Jesus Christ is going to be saying over and over and over again, have you not read? And he's going to point them back to Deuteronomy and Moses and Leviticus, and he's going to point them back to this and that. He's going to say, don't you know the Scriptures? Your religion is contrary to it. And I am here to set up that which is good and right and biblical. So as we continue studying through the book of Mark, let us focus on the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the main reason why I have chosen a gospel. That we might set our minds and hearts upon the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and learn of Him concerning true Christianity. Let's pray, brother.